Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. and I, as well as the Church of Corinth, but you and I even today, we need to know that there's only one true and living God and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. You know, if we get that into our brains, that there truly is only one God, He is all-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient in all things. If we really get that in our brain, then we shouldn't live in fear. In today's message, Pastor David continues teaching about the pressures the Corinthian Christians had in their church. In their church, some Christians had a conviction over eating meat dedicated to idols, while others did not. Pastor David encourages us to live freely in Christ. However, it benefits the body of Christ when we are sensitive to the convictions of others and not cause others to stumble. Walking with others in love is as important as living by our convictions. And we need God's wisdom to do this as well. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message entitled, Meals That Stumble. Getting into 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, Now concerning those things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. First of all, Paul deals with this whole idea of one person or, or group of people that they feel that uh, they're the ones that are in tune with God much more than anybody else. He says, look, we all have knowledge. But you know what? Your knowledge is puffing you up. You're not walking in love because love would be edifying one another. No, in your knowledge, you're causing this division. You're causing these troubles within the body of Christ. And so, again, he deals with him in this situation. And again, within the context, what he wants him to know is, no, you really know, you really need to know or understand the mind of God rather than having this ego-driven spiritual one-upsmanship going on. And in essence, what Paul is telling them here is that they think that they're so tight with God, then why aren't they demonstrating the Spirit of God through their love for one another, their encouragement to one another, their assisting to one another, rather than dividing themselves apart from one another? They continue to fight. They devour one another, even in, the, even in this very area, this whole idea of eating the meat. In essence, what Paul is saying you think you're all that and you know all this stuff, but really, 
you don't know really where you really ought to be and what you ought to know. He's really kind of cleaning the clock of those there in Corinth, those that are trying to judge others. He continues on in verse 4. He says, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, he's speaking of the names and these uh, false gods that people speak about. He says, yet for us, there's one God, the father of whom are all things and we for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. What he's telling them here is the simple fact that the gods of these pagans that they're worshiping, they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. They have these big shrines, they have these big ceremonies, all of this ritual, and it's to absolutely nothing. As we read elsewhere in the scripture, both Old Testament and New, they've, they've carved, they've made these little idols with their own hands. They bow down and worship them. They, they believe that they are something, but they're absolutely nothing. As believers, you and I, as well as the church of Corinth, but you and I even today, we need to know that there's only one true and living God and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. You know, if we get that into our brains, that there truly is only one God, he is all-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient in all things. If we really get that in our brain, then we shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't worry at all. But you know what? We start shrinking back and suddenly in our actions, and in our, in our minds, our God's not quite as powerful as perhaps he used to be or as he should be because now I'm stressing and I'm worrying about this situation rather than just saying, well, Lord, you're in charge of this. I'm going to surrender this into your hand. There's nothing that I can deal with it. You are the one true God. Why do we get all bent out of shape over these situations that happen? Why do we get all bent out of shape out of foreign or, or these pagan deities and the way that people worship them? They simply don't know anything else at this point in time in their life. They're worshiping this over there, but they have no clue. We look at the false religions of today and we could go from everything to those who are perhaps even consider themselves to be Christian or Bible believing and yet they're so far off base from what the true hope and the, and the promise of the gospel is because they are either bound by the law or they're bound by false doctrine. Beloved, the, the problem is, is most of them don't know anything else. That's why you and I need to be the living truth right before them. That's why you and I are called to be the light of the world. That's why you and I are called to be salt in this world. That's why you and I are called to be the light on the hill, shining in the darkness that's all around us. Because people are going to hell very sincere in their faith, very devout in their belief. The problem is, is their faith is in the wrong thing. Their belief is totally off base. They need to know the truth. And if you and I know the truth, then we need to be those who are also the purveyors of truth, the declarers of truth to a lost and dying world that's around us. They don't know anything else. Their deity, their religion has absolutely no power. 
what that Jerusalem council had advised them against was because of the weakness of the flesh. You know, those things, hey, you know, don't, the stuff uh, given to idols, uh, the blood, the sexual immorality. He says, that's going to battle against your flesh. So you need to stay away from those things. Those things were part of their past experience in their pagan worship. And yet many of those that were converted as Gentiles, they had to continue to grow in their faith to the point that the pagan gods and their practices meant absolutely nothing to them. Believe me, if you just come out of some of these pagan things, you are feeling, well, I'm going to leave this God and I'm going to go and worship this God. For many of them, it took them quite a while to understand what I'm leaving is nothing. I'm leaving something empty. I'm leaving something powerless. And I'm going to the one who is all in all, the one who is all-powerful. And for a lot of them, particularly as young believers, they really struggled with what they thought was the power of that deity that they used to worship. And it was a battle for them. They had to be completely set free from any of that drawback into the old worship practices. And so it's pretty easy to understand why some of the believers at Corinth again, did not want to have anything to do with that food that was dedicated to these idols. Again, uh, man, that's dangerous. I, I know what that's done there. And then others said, I don't care. That's a pretty good looking ribeye right there. I think I'll have that for dinner tonight because they knew that idol is insignificant. It's nothing. We have a restaurant here in our little town of Casa Grande. It's a Chinese restaurant that probably many of us have frequented. And if you, I don't know about the other ones because that's about the only one that I go to here in town. But if you go in, right as you enter the door, they've got their little Buddha thing there. And they they usually have fresh fruit and stuff around the Buddha. I got to admit, when I first went in there, I I was kind of taken back by that. Then I thought, oh, well, they got good Chinese food, you know. Uh, and, And that little pagan deity is nothing. The weird thing is, is they're playing Christian radio on the, on, the, on the loudspeakers. I don't know where that's coming. I don't, I don't, I don't know how, that, how they fit the two together. Is that little pagan deity symbol thing there just for looks, just for, again, the ambiance of being a Chinese food restaurant? I don't know. But you know what? It's nothing. It's nothing. So I go in there, and I get a really good cheap lunch. And, and I don't worry about the little fat guy sitting up front. It's insignificant. But Paul knew that there were some that still struggled in this area. The very same area that some of the others had been set free on. Down in verse 7, he says, However, there's not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, even until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. 
It's pretty clear that some there in the church, they still struggle with that effort to break away completely from from what they thought that that idol, that 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 pagan deity could possibly do. If if they were to eat meat, they they would be eating with this continual guilt feeling that that meat had been offered to an idol. How dare I even eat that at this point? And it would cause them a lot of guilt. They'd be partakers of something involved in pagan worship. And what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to walk that fine line of helping these weak ones, these new converts, to understand their freedoms, and yet at the same time, correct those who, in their freedoms, were doing damage to these younger brothers and sisters. So how do you deal with that? You, you say you're mature in Christ, and yet you're giving this brother over here who's struggling, you're giving him a hard time because he's struggling with something he hasn't been set free from yet. If you're mature in Christ, you ought to be encouraging him, not putting him down, not coming up with this spiritual one-upsmanship. Verse 8 says, Paul, he says, Food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, you who are displaying yourselves as a mature Christian, okay? If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to an idol? What's he saying here? Apparently at the same deal, it was this, this idea, whether it be eating the meat that's offered at the, at the pagan temple or they're outside the temple, maybe they had an outside restaurant where they would serve up the, those steaks and that meat or whatever. We don't really know for certain on that. But he's saying somebody who is, is still struggling with that area sees you who are mature in Christ eating there because you know, hey, that idol doesn't mean anything. That little Buddha guy at the front door, that doesn't mean a thing. But somebody that's just come out of that, they're really struggling to say, wow, how can you as a Christian eat in a place that's worshiping Buddha? How can you as a Christian eat in a place that's worshiping some pagan idol? He says, for you, yeah, it's nothing. I understand that. But you've got to think outside yourself. And the unfortunate reality is we are in a culture now that it's difficult to think outside of ourselves because we've been pressed into and, 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 and just pulled into that idea of thinking about me and what's in it for me and what's good for me. And yet that's totally opposite of what we ought to be as believers. As believers, we ought to be looking at, and how can I, again, serve you? How can I encourage you? How can I not be a stumbling block for you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about stumbling blocks in a moment. But right now, he says, anybody sees you eating there, they're going to be emboldened to eat. They're going to say, well, I guess it's okay to get back into that pagan worship. Because you see, for them, part of their pagan worship was the eating of that meat. And so rather than them growing in Christ, they actually start sliding backward. So verse 11, Because of your knowledge, because you're so high and mighty, because you've got that spiritual one-upsmanship, because of your knowledge, shall a weak brother perish for whom Christ died? He's saying, get out of yourself. 
and start looking around at what the impact of your life is doing to those that are around you. He says in verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brother and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, I have to look at that and I'm thinking, okay, is Paul saying, I'm going to be a vegetarian the rest of my life. I'm, I'm going vegan from here on out. I, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he is making that, that exaggeration saying, you know what? If it's going to cause you to stumble, I, I just won't do it anymore. Now, if you're not around, I'm going to the barbecue next week. But if, when you're around, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm, I, I can let go of those things in order to be an encouragement and a strength to you. I believe that's what Paul is saying, much rather than saying, hey, okay, if it's going to cause you to stumble, I just won't do it anymore. Let me stop right here and talk about stumbling a brother. In experience, okay, just my humble experience, you know the ones who I've stumbled the most in my life? I don't think it's been the weak brother or the new convert. It's been what should be mature brothers or sisters that simply have a different understanding or different concept of something that I believe. I don't believe that that's what Paul is speaking about, but yet we see that now. Mature Christians being upset, flustered, stumbled because you have a little bit different way of living out your faith than they do. It gets back to that spiritual one-upsmanship. Well, because you don't do like I do, well, that really stumbles me. Well, you know what? If you're a mature believer, you need to get over it. You need to just get over it and press on in Christ. You're not a baby in Christ anymore. Now, if you're a new believer and there's something that is said or done that really causes concern for you, then, hey, you know, we want to do everything we can to encourage you in the faith and to strengthen you in the faith and not leave anybody behind in the midst of this thing, thinking, well, wow, they're just so far out there. I'll never be able to get there, or I'm so apart from what they believe in that thing. What Paul is saying, mature believers causing new believers to stumble. So bear that in mind. He runs his whole same argument, actually, in the book of Romans, in chapter 14. Now, let me ask you to go there, if you would, in chapter 14 of Romans. Same argument, the same situation that's going on. Freedoms that are being found in Christ by some of these Gentiles and by many of these Jews and others that are still bound either by the law, they're bound by the culture and the impact of that. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Doubtful things. You ever wonder what doubtful things are? You know, I've got a lot of people that they'll tell me, no, you know, the Bible is black and white, black and white, black and white. Okay, what does the Bible say about watching television? Where's the black and white in there? There's a lot of things that we've got to look and see as believers. Uh, Paul himself speaks about those things that your conscience tells you. Man, you, you deal with those, but don't try and put that on somebody else. 
So these doubtful things is what he's speaking about here. Verse 2, he says, For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Again, this whole idea of the pagan worship, the pagan meat at the, from the temples and stuff. He's not speaking about that if you're a vegetarian tonight here and uh, you're weak in the faith. That's not what he's saying. Uh, verse 3, he says, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who does eat. For God has received him. He's saying, hey, you know, for you, okay. Man, if that's where your conscience is, that's fine. But don't judge this other brother. And if for you, if this is the way it is, well, that's fine. Just don't judge that other brother. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, he says, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And beloved, this has nothing to do with someone's choice of eating vegetarian simply as a health issue. It's dealing with that spiritual struggle that was going on uh, through their outside actions of these believers. Some of them mature, some of them immature. And it's more than just eating or, or not eating. It's even in the celebration or the non-celebration of certain days. Look what he says in verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in their own mind. Fully convinced in their own mind. Do you see, in essence, a great freedom there? And he's saying, in the... Let you be conceived in your own mind. Because he who observes the day, man, he observes it to the Lord. For those that want to worship on on Saturday, and man, they've dedicated that day as unto the Lord, and they really believe that that's what the Lord was having to do. Praise God. I'm not worried about that. A, A Saturday worshiper can go to heaven just like a Sunday worshiper can, okay? It's not a big deal. And Paul even says it right here. Man, you observe that day to the Lord, or to the Lord he doesn't observe it. He who eats, he eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives God thanks. I was raised in the South. They've got a lot of weird things on their menu. There's a whole lot of things on that menu I can't give God thanks for because I ain't going to eat it, okay? But some do, and they love it. I'm not saying that it's bad and that it'll cause them spiritual harm. I'm just saying I just wouldn't eat that stuff. They eat it. They give God the glory. Great. Give me something that I can identify what it is, and I'll give God the glory for it. Should we worship on Saturday or Sunday? Should we celebrate Christmas? Should we celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th? when we know he probably wasn't born on the 25th of December? Should we celebrate Ishtar, Easter? Shouldn't we just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? And shouldn't that celebration actually be the first Sunday following Passover instead of the weird schedule that we're on now? And sometimes we have Easter uh, three or four weeks before Passover. You can't imagine all the discussions that I've gotten into in 40 years of ministry over these very, these very subjects. 
how wrong we are in how and when we celebrate or we don't celebrate. What we do or don't do correctly according to someone else's understanding of the truth. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.